Welcome to the Homeschool Loftcast, a podcast presented by the Homeschool Loft in De Pere, Wisconsin. Our goal at the Loft is to encourage parents who educate their children at home and let them know that they are both called to and empowered for the task of home-based education. At the Loft itself, we offer one-on-one consultations, book clubs and discussion groups, workshops and seminars, and a curriculum viewing library. Through the Loftcast, we extend our reach to encourage and bless homeschooling parents everywhere. Today, Jenny and I are here together without a guest, and we are going to talk about what we wish we would have known about the elementary years of homeschooling before we got there. Mm. And this came about as we were just kind of talking about what do parents today need to know? What, what did we get asked about at the loft? And that was one of them. And then in a few weeks, we'll address what we wish we would have known about the high school years, right? Maybe we should do middle school years too. I'm not quite sure. But we're going to talk about that today. And hopefully, I think that you will find that some of the things that we talk about that we wish we would have known are things that you're thinking about now. So Jenny, what's the first thing that you wish you would have known about the elementary years before you got there? Oh, what a loaded question. <laughs> I actually wrote I mean, it notes. could be a three-hour episode if it we're not It really careful. could, which is why I kept mine to just three. Oh, but, I have like eight, but oh, that's okay. No, we'll those overlap. will be my extras actually, because okay. I'll tell you, these three are kind of meaty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I wrote some things down here, and I do have two books sitting besides, beside me, because this, like Tina was saying, oh, the things that, and we know that you're going to find this helpful, because these are the things that are the things, and it, it is a loaded question. There are so many different things, but I'm going to start with this. What I wish I'd known about the elementary years before I got there. For me, and this is really in no particular order, but I did number mine, number one. I wish that I would have immersed myself in Charlotte Mason's writings instead of relying on curriculum providers to help me achieve the very little I knew about her methods. And I say that because I, instead of reading her writings, I pretty much kept typing in Charlotte Mason curriculum, Charlotte Mason curriculums, okay? Just go to the source, people. All of the hours I spent trying to find the perfect match, I could have relaxed knowing that. And here, here I'm going to put a quote, okay? Every good gift of knowledge and insight comes from above, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the supreme educator of mankind, and that the culmination of all education is that personal knowledge and into intimacy with God in which our being find its fullest perfections. Like theologians before and after her, Charlotte held it to this fact. And so you see, I guess what I'm trying to say is knowing this fact takes off all the heavy load of comparing our home education to the grand system. I'm indoctrinated to believe only one way. There's only one way to do things. For me, in the very beginning, I had heard mentions of Charlotte Mason, but was pretty much not in the learning thing for myself. I was in the learning thing for my kids. So everything I would do, I would research 
I like that. That sounds pleasant and it sounds wonderful. And I like some of these ideas that I'm hearing. But could you wrap that up in a box for me and just let's I'm not going to read. I don't have time to read it. But what I want is somebody just to give me this in a box and then I want to do that. But when I was reading this quote, every good gift of knowledge and insight, this is the quote from Charlotte, every good gift of knowledge and insight comes from above. That right there. It does come from above. That the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the supreme educator of mankind. And that the culmination of all education is that personal knowledge of an intimacy with God in which our being finds its fullest perfections. And so that took a heavy load off. When I read that of as of recent in this last couple of years that I've been just reading through her stuff, what a load to be taken off is that you're never going to find the perfect thing. It's just not out there. And nobody can do that. We know and you hear us talk about it all the time. Am I saying never buy curriculum? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying invest yourself in God's holy word. Let that be. He is truly the educator. And when you understand that, that he's called you to this homeschooling thing, he's not going to just all of a sudden, well, I called you to it. Good luck. You're on your own. No, that's not the truth. And it takes the weight off of you to know that you're not going to fail with him. I think that's really what it comes down, down to for me. So you know, kind of related to that, I've talked about this before. Um, what I hear you doing is you're advocating for people to read Charlotte Mason's ideas, yes. Yes. not necessarily use a Charlotte Mason curriculum. Right, correct, right? Tina. Absolutely. Because one of the things I wish I had known before I began was that there is no such thing as the perfect curriculum, yes. like you just 100%. said, or a perfect method, mm -hmm. right? I, I actually think Charlotte would probably be appalled at all these curriculum mm. providers that shove her name on things yeah, and say they're the Charlotte Mason curriculum because she didn't write a curriculum, right? right? She wrote Absolutely. ideas for parents and a philosophy yes. of education, yes. right? Um, because one of the things that I got hung up on at the beginning was that I had to use the classical approach, right? Because, and, and if people who knew me back then are listening, Everybody that I knew and I met in the homeschool group I joined, all the people I started talking to were classical educators. So I made the mistake of thinking classical education is the way to educate your mm -hmm. kids well. And if I don't, I'm going to fail them. Right. And I got confused by this. Yeah. You know, nobody told me that. Right. It was just this assumption I made. What I've learned since and what I wish I had known from the beginning is it's what we have to do is trust God first and foremost. And then become students of our children. That's right. Right? To It's not about choosing a curriculum. It's about saying, all right, let me look at how has God wired my kid as a learner, whatever particular curricula are out there that I might want to use to help facilitate their learning has to match how that child right. is wired. It's not about you have to read this book and that book and this book to follow a certain way. The truth of the matter is your children are your children. Yes. And so, like Tina said, to be a studier of your own children. Yes. Actually, they are the curriculum. <laughs> they, are, they are the ones who, you know, another thing is that this is what I'm saying. What I was doing was I was interested in um, some of her ideas that I had heard, yeah. but I didn't go any further than that. Mm -hmm. Instead, I thought, well, that sounds like a great idea. I wonder who could nutshell this for me. And then yeah. could you package this up? And this is something that I'm going to do to my children. 
So that if I have these certain books and these certain things, then I have to do this Charlotte Mason thing yeah. to my children. I was just so naive. I never had read any of her volumes. I yeah. was clueless. And so. Which is, you know, think about it. It's understandable, right? I, I don't know about you. I wanted to homeschool. No, you didn't want to homeschool from the beginning. I did, right? I wanted to homeschool since before I had kids. Yeah. And I knew I was going to leave my public school teaching job and I was going to um, raise my babies and I was going to homeschool them. But. A, I didn't think about actually reading about homeschool philosophy when they were toddlers. B, I probably would have been too busy because literally if you have little children at home, you are very busy yeah, doing lots of different right. things. My daughter, who has a seven-week-old baby as we're taping, um, my husband was telling her the other day, oh, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. And she, <laughs> said, she said, Dad, that's a lie. The days go really, really fast. It's because she's always doing something yeah. to care for Seth's needs. So the idea of thinking... I have to read books about educational philosophy. And then if you fell into homeschooling, not planning to do it from the beginning, probably you feel the pressure of, okay, my child's seven. That means she's in second grade. I've got to get second grade curriculum. And blah, right? Yeah. So I think the stress of I've got to just get a curriculum. I've just got to do yeah. stuff is understandable, it is. right? And most of us, like I said, even if we knew we were going to start from the beginning, don't think about reading those philosophical books. So if you've never thought about it, that's okay. But maybe grab one or yeah. listen to a podcast yes. that talks about those things while you're washing dishes or whatever. Yes. Don't guilt yourself. Just start with something. And and I can say that because that's the thing, right? We are busy. Our yeah. kiddos are so little. We're learning what this whole thing looks like. Yet the only thing that goes against that is we're pouring all of our energies then that we do have time for reading into reading uh, teacher manuals. Right. Right. That yeah. was the problem. And that's what I was doing. Yeah. And so I think um, I had gotten a copy at the homeschool convention in Cincinnati of For the Children's Sake. Yeah. Okay. And it was a cover by, I have to tell you, because I never heard of it. I really was just a, a novice with this whole thing, just the very beginning. But I thought, what a lovely looking cover. Just what a nice, I'm going to get this book. Sometimes you can judge a book by its cover. It's true. And so I I probably read like, I don't know, the first 25 pages, who knows, uh, at least three times. You know, I, I read it and then I set it down for a while, didn't read it months, pick it back up. I'm really going to read this. And then life just got busy and it sat there. And we often joke, even to this day at the homeschool loft, in the, um, we have a little parent resource center of books and we, we hadn't read some of those books at all when our kiddos were little. Right. And so that's why I'm saying what I wish I'd have known about elementary yes. years but is was, But you know, it's okay to do time. a little bit, yes. right? To yes. say, you know, not to say, oh, my gosh, my kid's six and I haven't read yes. any of these books. So I'm failing. Right. Just to say, no, we're saying. Read a page a day, the, yes. a paragraph a day. Pick a book that resonates with you yes. about homeschooling and be a learner all day. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yep, 100%. Yep, yep. Um, the other thing that kind of comes to mind with that is I wish I had known from the very beginning that curriculum is not my master. It is a tool. It is a tool. And I often tell parents who ask about curriculum, um, it's a good thing. Curriculum is a good thing. Now, there are people who make their own curriculum. They write everything up and they organize it for their own kids. And that's great. If that's mm -hmm. something that you can do and still spend the majority of your time with your children. Because if you're so busy writing curriculum and not spending time with your kids, that defeats the purpose, yeah. right? But I know there's a lot of good things out there for tools. And so 
I recommend getting something, finding out what works so that you're not trying to pound a hammer, a nail into the wall with your hand, but you can use a hammer. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the analogy, right? Because there's a lot of good stuff written out there that if you view it in the right way, can be very useful and helpful, but it is never your boss. That's right. If you buy it and you don't like this particular element of it, but the rest of it works, skip the element you don't like. And I'm a rule, I was, I'm not anymore. I was a rule follower. And so I felt like I had to Mm -hmm. do every single thing and it was really stressful. And it took me a long time to realize, wait a minute, I bought that. I'm the boss. That's right. Exactly. No one's going to come and tell me I'm, you know, you're doing it wrong. We're going to arrest you. So. Well, and it kind of, just like what I was mentioning, right? Knowing that fact of that quote that I read, that really the Holy Spirit is the educator, as Charlotte would say. And we know this to be true, right? He's the convictor and the nudger and all of those things. Well, when we know that we don't, it it's just such a, you're homeschooling your children not to copy the way of the school system. Yeah. That's the very essence of why you're doing it. So why create that same system in your own home that you're putting on yourself? You're putting that weight upon your shoulders. Um, This grand system has been kind of like what? The golden calf, right? It it's the golden calf, and it's just not true. It's why you're homeschooling. And it's subconscious, right? Yeah. It's It's all most of us ever knew, right? So even if we know we don't like it, we tend to fall into defaulting to it unconsciously. And we just kind of think that's the way it is, but that's not true, right? Yeah. If we know the system is corrupt, not individual teachers, but the system <laughs> is definitely corrupt. 100%. If you even have an inkling that that's true, then work to consciously choose to do something different from it every single yeah. day. Right? Which is why for me, what I'm saying about with the Charlotte, Charlotte's writings really just are eye openers, you guys. And I would say this to every uh, mom and dad for sure, but anybody who works with children is just to read through, to give you new ideas different than what you know. You know, we've been indoctrinated to believe that there is only that one way. And so once I think just, and and they can be, you know, people, oh, her writings are written in the old form and they're so overwhelming. Hey, listen, we have dictionaries. Okay. We can look words up and it's okay. You can even get the annotated version, but just a little bit, like Tina was saying, you don't have to read all six volumes. I'm just saying a little, if, if it takes your whole life, I'm 50 years old and I haven't gotten through them. All my children are grown, but I'm still getting the fruit. From it, because it's a, it's a way of life. It's right. a way of thinking, you know. And, right. and there are people who have written, like like Susan Shea from Macaulay. Yes. She wrote for, for the Children's yes. Sake, which is based on Charlotte's ideas. Karen Andriola has written yes. some great things based on those ideas. So if it seems overwhelming to you to get a book written in the 19th century, read a good summary of her philosophy written by somebody yeah. else in the modern era. And you know what yeah. else I just recently discovered is um, this podcast that is called Charlotte Mason Poetry, I want to say. It's delightful. It is, they read portions, you know, instead of just talking about Charlotte Mason, they're, it's hands-on, but they're reading some of her works and just, oh, it's so good. I've only listened to probably three of their episodes so far, but right. learning. And, and again, I think the cool thing about her is it's about parenting. It's not about academic. Absolutely. It's about parenting. And 100%. that's why we keep mentioning her, yep. not because we want you to get nope. a Charlotte Mason curriculum. And I wish so. we could just even erase her yeah. name sometimes yeah. <laughs> because the truth is it's not about that. Like Tina's saying, it's yeah. just about you want peace, 
the, I, it's a load off. It is a load off. Why? Because it falls back right to the Lord. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, true. what about you? Anything? Well, those things I was mentioning. I, um, <laughs> I guess another thing, you know, to know that curriculum is not your master. It's a tool. Um, two other related things. You don't have to buy expensive curriculum. I've mentioned That's this good. before too. The first reading curriculum I bought for my daughters, because you know, if you're starting the elementary years, one thing you know is you you should, when they're ready, teach your children to read. That's yeah. kind of kind of a basic right. thing, right? So that's what I did. And yeah. I, I didn't go about listening for my children's readiness, but that's a different story. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to that later. But I bought this $300 language arts curriculum I because I j- no one told me to. I just thought I had to, right? Yep. If you want to invest in your children's education, you have to spend money. Yep. Maybe it works for some people. It was mm-hmm. an abysmal failure for us. And what was I going to do? I just Same. had shelled out $300. Right. Um, I eventually shifted and I went to this little reading curriculum called the Amish Pathway Readers that cost $7 a book. I mean, it was crazy that the cheap thing is what yes. actually worked. But part of that was me using curriculum as a master instead of a tool. And I had to learn along the way all about that. So I guess this is the other thing related to that. It's okay if you pick a curriculum because you think it's a good tool and you're on the right track with that. And you realize after a little while that it's not really a good fit yeah. and you need to shift. I changed Five or six or seven times in my girls' first three years of being like formally homeschooled, my kids did not get damaged because everything we learn from, Mm -hmm. you know, in some way. Yes. And along the way, as I tried different things, I was becoming more aware of how God has wired my kids. So I honed it and I honed Mm -hmm. it. And then we settled in after a few years to, and I knew what to look for at that point, but I didn't harm them by shifting all around for the first few years. You don't want to be fickle and weird and every other week you're changing, but it's okay if you do change. Yeah. That's so good. Right. And don't be afraid and don't be ashamed like you failed. You don't have to stick with one curriculum for 13 years. That's exactly (laughs) it. Because they're always learning, period. And so even those times when you think, oh, they're not getting anything, they actually are. might not be what you planned out. Yep. But guess what? The Lord provides. He calls it. Mm He calls us to it, and that's the way it's going to be. I wish I would have known that I didn't need, and probably still don't need to, give big lengthy lectures and (laughs) illustrations in order for my children to learn. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, through Charlotte's methods. You mean you didn't stand up with a chalkboard, or you did stand up with a chalkboard? I had the chalk. We actually had, it wasn't even a chalkboard. It was um, a whiteboard. Our friend, Steve Huntley who does uh, painting and uh, because we had the schoolroom, okay. remember? And we had our whole entire, the, the whole wall. Did you need a schoolroom, by the way? Let's back We did up. not need okay. a schoolroom. Absolutely didn't. Amen. And why? Because learning is all over the places. And the ads mm-hmm. are you sitting down there. It looks really great. But guess what? Probably just for like when grandma and grandpa come over <laughs> and everything else. Other than that, we're outside. But guess what? Our whole entire wall was, um, Steve did it. It was a wipe-off board. But it was one of those that are, it was like black. So mm-hmm. you could use, you know, neon colors and oh, okay. whole fun and exciting yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. I wish I would have known that I didn't need and still don't. My children are grown. Let's just remember oh. <laughs> this. Although we are still this parents. Is a different topic, okay? but yes. Mm-hmm. We do not need to give big lengthy lectures and illustrations in order for our children to learn moms and dads. And I'll tell you why. And I'm going to actually read why 
what has convinced me and enlightened me and showed me, and I wish I would have known this from the get-go because, well, God's grace, okay? Let's just say that. But through Charlotte's methods, we allow the children to um, access their God-given ability to educate themselves. Educate themselves? As if education is something we do to somebody. No, we don't, okay? Listen, let me read this because I'm hoping out of this that you, this will be just a little um, teaser for you because it's really this easy. But listen, I hope this kind of changes your mind. A lot of people can't believe that children are able to educate themselves. They have been duped and lied to that education is done to them. And the truth of the matter is, is well, God made the children. And he, he gave us a brain to learn. And we see that only when we're looking at from birth to two years old. Look at all the things they can do by themselves. You did not teach them to talk. You may have said, mama, dada. But you certainly didn't help them whip paragraphs out. You did not teach them to walk. You may have said, come on, come on. But guess what? God gave them the ability to walk, to talk, to learn. And even now Tina, being Nana, (laughs) Nana, has all of, she's in it. She's in it with little Sethy Blue right now. And so, <laughs> and even the, the pictures that I'm seeing uh, as of late, yeah. I mean, he's growing and he's learning and he's smiling and he's developing yeah. and he's doing it without the help of other humans. God is with he's him and he's in relationship him. with his parents yes. and us and we're modeling, but it's not a curriculum. That's exactly it. Right? We're living life. That's true. Well, listen to what Charlotte has to say. Now, I'm about to read... Um, from A Philosophy of Education, which is her sixth volume. Don't let the word volume scare you. None of this. Don't let any of it, because you're going to understand this, I promise. Charlotte says this, I can touch here on no more than two potent means of cresting, she uses the word incuria, which means carelessness, in a class. Carelessness. One is the talkity the talky-talky of the teacher. We all know how we are bored by the person in private life who explains and expounds. Reason have we to suppose that children are not equally bored. They try to tell us that they are by wandering eyes, inanimate features, fidgeting hands and feet by every means at their disposal. And the kindly souls among us think that they want to play or to be out of doors. But they have no use for play except at proper intervals. What they want is knowledge conveyed in literary form and the talk of the, I might not pronounce this word right, facile, facile. Facile. Facile teacher leaves them cold. What is she saying? Well, listen, to break that down for you, Charlotte Mason Summaries, that's a book. If you can't understand this, and I even looked up words, you can just get it from Charlotte Mason Summaries. That's actually a book. Using Marx, the moms and dads, listen to this. Listen, listen to this. What I wish I would have known. Using Marx, grades and rewards may motivate children to do well in school, but it builds bad intellectual habits. It makes children value the reward 
more than the knowledge. Boring lectures and repetitive reviews to make sure the children get it teaches children to tune out. Specialized study at the expense of other more varied subjects makes children unbalanced. No one should be encouraged to bury themselves in any one topic so deeply that can no longer enjoy art or poetry. They can no longer enjoy art or poetry. People can enjoy and do many things, as Leonardo da Vinci and other well-rounded men did, because you know what I'm talking about. You know. And I think Susan Schaefer uses this uh, illustration. I believe it was in For the Children's Sake, but it might be in a different book. And it was um, reopening up the Bible, reading a passage to the children, and the children, and that's it. She read the passage. I don't know if it was about the creation, something of the sort. Don't quote me here, okay? I'm just recollecting. I think it was a creation package uh, passage or something. And that she, she closed the book that somebody, one of the children said, did that really happen? And she said, yes. And then she closed the book and they carried on. They didn't have to color anything. They didn't have to write about it, do a dance, learn a song, <laughs> do all these little funsy type things. No, because that would have blocked that excitement. The, the Holy Spirit was already working in, those, in that little one's mind already. She was inquisitive and excited enough to say, did that really happen? No lecture needed. Yes, mm -hmm. it did. End of story. And then let it do its thing. We don't, I wish I would have known that. Because I wanted to see the fruit right then and there. Sure. I wanted to make sure they got it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we do that and we do that. And we don't need to do that because that destroys that in them. So that was one of the you things. You know, I think doing. one of the things I wish I had known was to watch for developmental readiness. And I think that it, it related to what you just said. Um, so often, and I was like this, and I hear parents talk about it when they have elementary age kids. How do I know if my child has mastered XYZ PDQ? Um, what I wish I had known was that they don't need to master it. Um, in the elementary years, we are simply exposing our kids yes. to a variety, like Charlotte says, a whole variety of things. It's like a smorgasbord, yes. right? And the only thing we're doing is opening up the world to them. And we're not doing it, but we're providing resources, right? right? right. We're not lecturing. We're, we're reading beautiful books. We're taking them places, all these different things. And what I learned to think about eventually, um, maybe too late for my daughters, but not too late for my grandson. That's exactly right? it. Um, is think about it like this. It's like we're putting pegs into our kids' brains, yeah. right? And they don't have to have the whole solar system mastered, That's right? Exactly. But when they get older... And they're able to read more, deeper, richer books. They'll read about something with the solar system and they'll hearken back in their brains. Oh, I, I knew something about that, right? And they can hang the new information on those pegs. Yes. So in the elementary years, it's all about just giving them pegs. And I think that's, you know, beyond the three R's, right? Reading, handwriting, spelling, and math. That's four, but you know what right. I mean. Those are kind of foundational and we need to get to those. But all the other stuff... We're, we're putting pegs yeah. and we're going to trust God to develop that and put stuff on those pegs later. Yeah. And what's so good, you know, especially in these younger years is how, you know, 
these little lessons short. Yes, that's another thing that I wish I would have known. Right? Yes. 15 minutes is it. Mm -hmm. We think that we have to force the second grader to get through all. What? That's a very dangerous tactic. Because what's happening is they will resent their time learning. Okay? Because what's happening now is you cannot force. And I put this on on Facebook today. This was the post is you can't force somebody to learn. You can't force them to learn. Okay. So you want, we want children to be excited about learning. And and like Tina said, a feast and um, all different ways, all different things to get their hands on and music to hear and beautiful pictures to see and going to the library and outside and all these things. but when we're forcing them to sit there, they're bored, they're checked out, you're frustrated. When it keeps it to 15 minutes, what's happening with these little ones is they're learning a habit of attention. And they can pay attention for 15 minutes and to continually practice that. Now, when they get to be a little bit older, of course, you can lengthen it as they grow, right? And we're talking the elementary years today. Exactly. So, yeah. so keep it short. Keep it to 15 mm-hmm. minutes, please. I beg you to trust us with that. Keep these lessons to 15 minutes, what it is, and and then don't Well, and think practically about, about it. it. <laughs> most of us, most of you listening, went to a public school or a private school that was really a public school in model, right? Mm-hmm. Which meant even in elementary school, we're sitting there for a 45-minute math lesson, let's say, and you're in second grade and you're sitting Mm. there and the teacher has designed that, right? Think back. Did you tune in for 45 minutes? No. There is no way. There is no way. You may be tuned in for five or six and then you were out and then maybe you came back for another three, right? The beauty of limiting to 15 minutes for a subject, if you need to do some direct instruction in math, for example, right? is your child can focus for that amount of time. He can drink it in and he's going to make progress because it's one-on-one tutorial, and right? it's pleasant. Yes. yes. And you're just having a conversation and you're working on it and you don't need to be a school marm. We yes. don't want that. Right. But yes, you're training the habit of attention. So if the normal attention would be seven minutes, if you're really engaging in positive, you can get the child to be trained to 15 minutes and then let them go off and do something else. So it's they're not going to seem like it's drudgery, but the reality is... School kids, kids stuck in school are not paying attention for 45 minutes. They're zoning out most of the time. And if you think about it, you know I'm telling the yes, truth. Yes, it is the truth. Um, What I wished I'd had known about the elementary years before I got there. Now, all of this is very important to me, okay? And we kind of touched on this a little bit before. But I'm going to use the word mother culture here, all right? And I'm going to just tell you that, again, it seems like we read all of the curriculum teacher guides. And if you were me, you know, you spent all your time, and I know I've said this before, I would stay up late, one in the morning sometimes, and it was fun looking up different curriculums. And I I got to the point where I didn't even necessarily care about a curriculum, but I would be, I you know, just little arts and crafts things that I was going to print for the next day and all those fun things. But I was depleting myself in doing that. I would be, you know, staying up until 1 a.m. And yes, it was fun. And yes, it was good. But everything that I did was for 
the children, okay, which is good to a degree, but there's a point when your affections are out of order. And I wouldn't be spending time with Joel. And I definitely wasn't spending time reading any books for myself or pleasure or doing any of those things. So mother culture, I'm going to read just uh, something a little bit here to you um, from a Charlotte Mason companion, which this is the book that the homeschool loft is doing every Tuesday for this season. In 2023. In 2023. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that you need to attend every single Tuesday. (laughs) Of course, we would never expect that, but what's beautiful about this Charlotte Mason Companion, Personal Reflections on the Gentle Art of Learning, written by Karen Andreola, is that each chapter is its own chapter. So that's what's nice. But let me just read this. We were talking about mother culture, taking time, continually learning for yourself as a mom because you're still a person. Okay? You're still a person. Yes, you're a mother. And yes, you're a wife. And yes, you're a sister and an aunt and all the things. But you have got to be filled up and not to lose yourself. And particularly if you want your children to continue learning and have a joy in digging deep and doing all these things, then you ought to be the model of it. But usually we're the first ones to let ourselves go. And so I just wanted to read in this book which is called A Charlotte Mason Companion on page 17 near the bottom. There's a short little blurb that she writes. Now, Karen Andriola also has a book that is called Mother Culture, which is a delightful book. Uh, We did that one last year, and I feel like we just kind of didn't give it its due time because even that book, again, it's just so much to chew on and everything else. But listen to this. This is what uh, Karen Andriola has written. Charlotte wished to prevent dryness in her teachers, and so she reminded them never to be without a good book at hand. She understood the necessity to keep reading, to keep growing in the spiritual and intellectual life. She wanted teachers to pursue cultural activities too. I bid you do the same, to take part in mother culture. And what are some of the things that you've kind of, pushed back, you know, you've pushed them to the back burner and you've really elevated your children to a point where I think um, can be sometimes unhealthy. I think sometimes moms can raise up, you know, our, our order's all wrong. We love our children so much. And so they become the very thing. And it's almost like a idolatry in a sense. And I, I know that seems like a big word to say, but I mean, the truth of the matter is, is Our affections need to be in the proper order. God, husband, children, right? We we need to fill up on God's word. We need to not lose those things that we once loved to do before motherhood. Maybe you were a painter. Maybe you loved to paint. Maybe you loved to knit or maybe you loved to read and learn. And then you stop doing all those things because you put your children at the very top. That's dangerous because... Education is not just school books, okay? Education is learning all the time in all of life. And so you're doing your children a great service in continuing seeking after the passions that you once had. So that then when, as they grow, they're going to seek after those passions too. And they're not going to have to, you know, they, they won't think that, oh, I have to be really good with math or I have to go to college or I have to do this. 
Maybe it's that you enjoy, you know, helping your husband change tires outside <laughs> on the truck. For your mother culture time. <laughs> but your children see you do. You do see what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the things that I wished. I wished I would have read all of those books that we have on our shelf at the, at the loft back then. But I really yeah. pushed myself to the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's a temptation. I mean, kind of the flip side is we, we see, we talk to some moms who try to push homeschooling to the back burner, right? Like it's mm, the last priority true. and their, all their business endeavors, which again, if you need to help supplement family income, that kind of thing. Um, but we also have to keep that in balance yeah, too. But I know true. what you're talking about, like just making sure that you're- That's a good point. You're, but related to that, I think one of the things I wish I had known was that academics needs to take second place to character mm. and relationship, mm-hmm. right? In those early years- Yes, you want to teach your children to read. You want them to learn to do addition and subtraction and write their name and spell correctly. But if it doesn't come from a place of character, if it doesn't come from good habits, and it relates to what you said, because that is also the parents' good habits, right? Right. I was was talking to somebody in an online group today, and she was talking about, um, it was in a Charlotte Mason group, ironically, but... um, she said something about my one hindrance to homeschooling is my kids love to be outside so much. And what could I just like get a tent and we could do school outside <laughs> or something? And it was a in- weird question. And, um, and my response was um, initially, I said, well, in- outside is wonderful, but whether you're indoor or outdoor, if, if you want your children to focus for 15 minutes, you need to train them to do that. And that's not an impossible task, right? And it's okay if you tell them you need to obey me for this little bit of time. Because I said, you know, it only takes four hours a day max in high school to yes, do homeschooling. And right. when you're little kids, it's much shorter, right? And then she said, well, they're four and five. Oh. And I said, okay, well, they don't need to be doing any <laughs> academics right. at all. Yeah. And she said, then the hindrance is my habit of I'm just in, in I'm living chaotically. And what I said to her was, but you can train your own habits as well. There's a book for that, actually. Yeah, but I mean, it relates to mother yeah, culture, right? 100%. Like, all right, if I want my children to demonstrate diligence and paying attention to something, I need to do it too. That's absolutely they right. They need to see me doing it. That's right. And they need to hear me say, no, I'm going to spend some time in Bible study yes. right now. Uh, it's 10 minutes. I'm going to read right. this passage and pray so you can go over here and play with your Legos. We need to demonstrate that for them and train them in obedience. And it's a whole lot easier to, within relationship, build habits, build character in your kids when they're two, three, four, five, six years old than to try to remediate it when they're 16. Yeah, that's exactly true. So focus on the habits and the character because if they've got that grounded, all the academics and those pegs I was talking about, it will come. But to reverse engineer it later on is not going to work. No, that's not. You know, you're right to say there are two ends of the spectrum with this whole thing. There are mothers who, um, it it is really, and I I did struggle with that too. I would say, as you know, Joel would call me, at, you know, wherever I asking the first thing I would do is ask about, this. and the yeah. truth is, is yes, that's good, but okay, right. But then there's that other end that I I hadn't thought of, but that's so true. It's the we. We've met a lot of these uh, career moms, and they don't want their children at the school, so they want to homeschool them, but yet they're still committed to the career before the children. They don't need the income. Yes. I mean, some do, but yes. we're talking about right. the ones who don't need the income, but Just, they're like, 
they want to make sure they don't lose themselves. Entrepreneurs type of a thing. And it's kind of a weird Uh take on the mother culture. It really is a weird take. We're not going to do that. You know what? And my mom had told me, and I know that I've said this probably a thousand times, but um, she said, your children need a break from you. They need a break for leave, okay? Get out. Well, such good time. She just her. wanted the kids. She to go really to did. Her house. She just really did. <laughs> you know, they need a time with grandma. They need a time with grandpa. They need a time with dad. For these little elementary years, they've been with you all day long. It would be beautiful for them to spend time with dad. Nine times out of ten, the dads are the ones that are working. They're out of the house. So this is critical, and this is a great time for you to get involved even with other mothers. Like what we're doing at The Loft with um, our mom group is just to have a time where we're together and we're talking all things moms. And it's just a breath of fresh air when you can just be who you are with other people who are in equally that same place. And it's refreshing. It's a refreshment for the soul. And if your soul's not refreshed up, then that's why there's tension in the home. If you never get a break, you know. Yeah. So critical. That was one of my things too, too. um, I wish I would have known it's the importance of finding a tribe. I, I did. I fell into, because I was in a homeschool group, I fell into making friends of like-mindedness, um, it wasn't on purpose, but I wish I would have known that that's important to be purposeful about and to find your tribe, to yeah. hang out with people from the very beginning. Homeschooling doesn't have to be isolating. In this day and age, there's homeschool communities, small, large, medium, whatever it might be, almost every place, right? Unless you live out in the sticks of Montana, where I was I was out there and like the next neighbor is literally 50 miles away, um, you can find people. And I think it's important in the elementary years, if you want to be in it for the long haul, have to be in relationship with other people who believe the same things you do. Yeah. And let the children be children. Let them be children. This little elementary age, oh, so I love all the ages, but I'm particular for first graders. I just have to say it's so sweet. They're so sweet. They're just so loving and they're still so... um, They love you no matter, right? They're just so forgiving, and they're such an example of God's grace. And stop, you know, like Tina said, it's the focus. Get it off the academics. Just get get your focus off of the academics. Let them be children. Stop with this. I know it's scary. I know you want them to be readers. I know you want them to add. I know you want them to tie their shoes. Hey, listen. They will. They learned how to walk. That. Go back and write down all of the things you have seen them do from birth to two. I don't know. Maybe that should be a daily practice to remind yourself. What have they accomplished without you? These little beings is mind-boggling, isn't it? Yes, and... To watch for developmental readiness rather than my child's five, she has to learn to read. Mm-hmm. Here's something I learned recently. Um, I should probably find the reference so that we can add it on. Well, to I the wish notes, I would have but... read the book that you're, talk- you're probably going to talk about, the Raymond. Yeah, Raymond Moore, Better Late Than Early. It's out of print, but you can still get it on Kindle and you can get used copies. 
buy it, okay? Because yes, that has all this stuff about habit training and waiting. But here's the thing. One of the things, and I, I guess it's a researcher from that book, outside of an institutional school setting, when you look at children and learning to read, and you just take off the pressure of all the six-year-olds have to be the same for the sake of the teacher, because she's got 25 kids and they mm-hmm. all have to be the same, that's what those everybody reads early things are for, the convenience of the teacher. And again, that's a high-pressure job. I get it. I was there. But your kids aren't in school, right? So when you take that out and you look at how the God has developed people's brains, mm. the normal age to learn to read for some children, they're not dyslexic, extends all the way to 10 or 11 years old. Mm. 10 or 11 mm. It's a bell curve. There are a few children who naturally learn to read when they're three and four years old and five, okay? There's a few where the normal age is 10 or 11. The bulk of kids are in the big middle of the bell curve between six and nine. That means if you have a seven and a half year old and they're just now interested in phonics and they're just now being able to string letters together, they're not dyslexic. They're learners. Do not stress out about your child who isn't reading by the age of five and a half. My, my, one of my daughters, it didn't click for her finally, and I wasn't paying it attention to developmental readiness. I should have waited for her, but I started when she was five and the poor thing just went along. Mm-hmm. Um, it clicked for her one day when she was eight years old. Shortly after she turned eight, she literally woke up, came downstairs, and she was a reader. I did nothing. The day before she struggled, we picked up the book that day and she read. It was her brain's readiness. That child has not a dyslexic bone in her body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think what I really wish I would have known was watch, like I said before, be a student of your children. Watch for their God-given developmental readiness and throw away the lies that the system says earlier is better. That's not true. Well, there's one word that's in the middle of all of that that we know that's the evil, and that is the compare. Yeah. Compare. Uh, Don't be a student of somebody else's children. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because that's truly... Listen, that starts probably, well, in your pregnancy for sure. Yes. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You're already comparing. You're comparing yeah. your pregnancy to your friend's pregnancy. And then the labor and, stories. And oh my oh gosh. My oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just everything is saturated in comparisons. And you're comparing, you know, oh, well, look at her kids are just so outgoing. And they just, and she wears dresses and lets her mom put ponytails in her hair. Why does she always rip her ponytails out? I just wish I had a ponytail wearer. You got. Oh my goodness. This is where comparisons begin. And this is real stuff. This is real life, you guys. You know you're busy studying somebody else's children. Don't. Stop. You have enough (laughs) to worry about with your own children. If she's not a ponytail, wear her. Wear wear her. Um, Let her get a short haircut. It's fine. Exactly. Stop comparing. But if we took that compare thing out, yeah. if if that was removed, just think, I, I often think about that. If we were just on some island all by ourselves with our children and our husbands, what? And just living. Yes. What? We would never think anything. Nobody would be behind. Nobody would be, be any. You the know, only behind for a homeschooler is the one you're sitting on. How would... Amen. And how would they learn if you didn't have all the curriculum? Yeah. Well, I can tell you how they learn. Life. They'd be learning through life. 
And Carol Joy Side, who was one of my mentor type people, she, I went to one of her seminars when the girls were little. She said, you can homeschool completely effectively with a Bible, a library card, and a math book. Yes. And she's right. Yes. Because that it's about relationship mm. and it's about helping it your is. children develop holistically. And if you didn't have but a few resources, you would be just fine. Oh, well, that concludes our talk. We could go on and on. But. We would go on. But I love that word. You know, it is true. It is the center of everything. And that is God. He is the center of all of what you're doing. He called you to homeschool your children. And I don't know academics was forefront on his mind. I think relationship was. And that's if you have to write yourself a card that says relationship and just put it by your bedside, I would definitely do that. All the reminders that you can get. Because God called you to this season because you're raising up his children. Have a beautiful day or night.